I don't know how many of y'all were so lucky to get the uncomfortable, I mean the special wooden folding seats, but you notice how they brought some up here? All right, come on up here. Oh, yeah, I see you taking the good one, man. All right, get you, hey, all right, and, and I guess, uh, um, oh, dude, I kept calling him Hunter last week, and that wasn't his name, what? Miller, dude, Miller was here, so man, Miller's not back, bro, because I kept calling him Hunter, I guess, I don't know. No, their family actually are the FCA missionaries, Fellowship of Christian Athlete, and uh, they do uh, lacrosse. He actually oversees lacrosse for the whole state of Florida uh, for uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and so whenever they're not here, dude, they're running tournaments, and so y'all think of it, pray for them today because they're probably freezing today, or, or is it that your brother really just got uh, mad because I called, I kept calling him Hunter? Did, did he mention that, or did y'all change his name this week, or you, you mess with him? All right, I, I, you know, up here, dude, I'm on autopilot. I fill up, and I'm counting on the Holy Spirit, and 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 you know, I'm not blaming the Holy Spirit for a wrong name there, but but I am saying, man, I just kind of go brain dead on things I should know. So y'all know that about me. It's all good. So uh, I am grateful to have you guys up here because y'all y'all know the story of the wise men. You know the wise man story? I'm going to need some help with the details. That's only one little part of it. And uh, Ethan, I love what you did with your hair today. That's awesome, man. Have you been on my boat? <laughs> All right. It looks good. I like that. All right. Hey, so how many of y'all grew up with brothers and sisters? Anybody grew up with brothers and sisters? Um, how many of you were the one that uh, was, you know, when something went wrong, that it was, uh, it was usually you? I'm just saying. How many of y'all y'all were the one that had you grew up with somebody who was the favorite and it wasn't you? How many of y'all were not the favorite? That's hard to admit right now, right? But y'all like to glory in that, right, Emily? Oh, they love Ashley more than no, Ashley just gives us opportunities to love her. I'm just saying that. But <laughs> Matt moved to Alabama, so he gets what he gets, man. And you know, but uh, so man, how would you like to grow up with a perfect sibling? Oh, how, how many of y'all think you grew up with a perfect sibling? You know, that's why your parents treat all the time. Well, dude, in Jesus's family, Jesus was the perfect sibling. Can you imagine? Oh, hey, the lamps broke. Who did it? Well, we know Jesus didn't do it. You know, oh, hey, this messed up. Je well, Jesus didn't do it. Jesus never did anything. And so even when Jesus finally did come out and he said, hey, I'm the Messiah, his brother, what, what did his family think about him then? think he's nuts look you've been pretty good you've been perfect you know what we've had enough of this you're a crazy man go go out and prove yourself and and, and this time dude he's really not going to be able to prove himself and for once in his life he's going to be wrong he's like no it's not time for me to do it yet and finally when he did and he th proved himself many of his family didn't even follow in fact um later we believe that the guy who wrote the book of James, that was one of his siblings. Obviously, he had you know, Joseph and Mary as his parents, and Jesus had, Jesus, had God as his, parent, his dad. You know, the guy who wrote the book of Jude, that was one of his siblings. And those guys didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. In fact, even to the crucifixion, they're just like, what a nut. Dude, I, where do you think they were? Peter was denying Christ. Where do you think his family was when the whole cross thing was going down? They're like, oh, hey, aren't you? No, dude, that ain't my brother. We've been saying he's crazy all along, you know? And they've been denying him and denying him. And all of a sudden, after the resurrection, it's like, okay. So think about who got to spend more time with them. Those guys did than anybody. And that's why they came out so bold. Those are two great books for you to read, by the way, um, James and Jude, because they knew what they were talking about with it. 
But we don't really know much about Jesus. We, we learned about his birth, and we know a little bit about his birth, and we only know there's only one little section of a chapter that we know about his youth, about when he was growing up, and most of his life is from age 30 on. But we're in the Gospel of Luke right now, and I know we've sort of been skipping around and some different stuff, but I know this is what God wants us to look at today, and it's the passage that really just tells us about how he grew up, you know? And, 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 and that's what we're going to look at. So the only thing we know about Jesus as a child, we're going to find in Luke 2, starting in verse 39. So check this out with me. One, he was protected. All right, we know he was protected. We know God had a call on his life that eventually he, he was going to do what? He was going to die for our sins. And so if God's got a call on your life, who is it that controls when, when, you, when you're born? Who, tell me that. Who knows your birthday? Who controls your birthday? Even if you're like, no, no, we had a C-section. Dude, who set that C-section up? It's God. I'm just saying God's in control of your, he could shut the whole hospital down if he wanted to. He's in control of when you're born and who knows when you're going to die. God. Yeah. Hey, the answer. Let's try this again. Who, uh, Carol Ann, you know the answer, right? Who's in control of when you die? God, right. God, that's it. Exactly. And, and so God knows, he knows all those things. So I like to tell Tiny, man, when, when, when you first came here, you, you said, yeah, I like you said this, that we're immortal till what? Till God's done with you. You're immortal till God is done with you. Do you understand that? And so not only was Christ protected, it, I mean, dude, he was, he was fully God, fully man, came as a baby, came as a child. And, and was, do you think Satan knew Jesus's plan? Yeah. Did you think he knew what God's plan was for, for Jesus? Absolutely. I mean, how hard would it be for Satan to kill a baby? It wouldn't be hard unless God's protecting that baby. So how many of y'all are, were babies once? And he protected you, right? How many of y'all should have died as a, as a child for what you did? How many of y'all, now I should see some hands. How many of y'all should have died as a teenager? Gary, raise your hand. You know, I'm just saying. As an adult, who's been protecting you? Who's been preserving you? Who has kept you? And the answer is what? He's an almighty God, and he has kept you out this time. And so we're going to see how he protected Christ as a baby. And, and if anybody had Satan attacking him, dude, it's got to be, it would be Christ. Because all through, ever since the first prophecy, he's been, he's been trying to wipe out the Jews. If he can stop a Messiah from coming, man, then he can win. And he couldn't, and he lost. How many of y'all are excited about that? That he lost. Yeah. So Christ was protected in all of this. So check this out. It, 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 you're, where we left off, we left off with the shepherds last week, kind of seeing, you know, oh, praise God, look what all happened and everything. And, and what we kind of see in the meantime between that passage and 39 is we see that when Jesus was eight years old, what did they do to him? Anybody know what they did to him at eight years old? Tell me how you can say that word in church. Yes, it's in the Bible. Circumcised them. All right, we're not going to talk about circumcision, Terry, today. We did that one night in Bible study, and it got out of hand, didn't it? All right, we're not going to talk about it. But we, maybe we'll one time when we preach on it. But they circumcised him because why did they do that? Because that's what God said to do on the eighth day. And uh, that was a pretty cool thing um, in that. And it represented that Jesus, by, at the very beginning, started keeping the law. He was righteous in the law. He's the only one who did not violate the law in any way. He carried out the ceremonial law, and, and he was perfect when he died. So they circumcised him. 
But they were in Bethlehem, right? That's where he was born. They, they then came to Jerusalem, and they had to offer up um, sacrifices, right? That's what, that's what you did. Uh, ever since the, the Egyptians, um, they left Egypt. Uh, he said, I want you to consecrate your firstborn son to me. And so they had to offer a sacrifice for the firstborn son, and they did that for Jesus. And because they were poor, what did they offer up, y'all? Did they offer up a big old cow or, you know, goat, lamb? What, what did they offer up? A couple of little turtle doves. Yes, exactly. Not turtle candy, but uh, uh, turtle doves, yeah. And, um, and, but he fulfilled the law in all of that. Uh, while they were there, a couple of people stepped up. Uh, Simeon and another lady, and they prophesied. And maybe we'll go back. I think that's what God's doing. We're going to go back one day, and we're going to look at these prophecies, and we're going to go back to the previous chapter and look and see what Mary and Elizabeth all said at one point. Uh, and I think God's going to take us back to see that they all predicted that he is the Messiah. There is no doubt of the fact that Jesus is God. Amen? How many of y'all believe Jesus is God? Y'all believe Jesus is God? All right. You know what? One day, you guys, how old are y'all? Like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever. One day, the world's going to tell you Jesus is not God. You believe that? One day, you, I, when I say Jesus is God, what do y'all all say? Duh, right? Isn't that what you say? One day, you're going to be fighting for that fact with people in this society that Jesus is God because they deny that. They deny our salvation, the resurrection, all that, and they're doing it all just to convince themselves, to come up with their own standard, to say, I'm okay. But they're not. They're wrong. Jesus is who? God. He is God. And, and so one day we're going to go back and look at all of these things, but this is where we're at today. And so in between, here's the way Luke handles it. Oh, yeah, they went to the temple in Jerusalem. So they were in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Where'd they come from originally, y'all? Anybody remember? Nazareth. Good job, man. Dude, you just did something different with your hair. That looks cool. <laughs> uh, man, I wish I had Gumby hair. Man, it's like, that's awesome. So anyways, so uh, they came from Nazareth. And because of an edict we learned on Christmas, they came all the way down to Bethlehem. You know, that's like drive, walking from here to Orlando, right? And they went down to Bethlehem. They had the baby. They were staying in Bethlehem, kind of. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what details we have, they were staying down in Bethlehem. They went and got him circumcised. Don't really know where, what doctor's office he went to. Don't know where that happened. Could have been on the picnic table at J.C. Park. I really don't know. But they had him circumcised according to the law. And, and then they went to Jerusalem, which was close to Bethlehem, and they had the sacrifices performed, you know, for the dedication and all of that. That's where they heard the prophecies on him. And, and then they went back. They were probably in Bethlehem. And, and here now, in verse 39, it says, when Jesus' parents fulfilled all the requirements of the law, which meant Mary had to be away from ceremonially unclean for like 30, 40 days at least, when they fulfilled all of that, it says, Dude, they returned home to where? Nazareth in Galilee. So it sounds like, oh, yeah, we got our Jerusalem stuff done. Let's go back to Nazareth. But if you go to Matthew chapter 2, you will see that there's some important dudes who go and visit them. Who are those guys? Who are some important guys that went and visited them? The wise men. How many wise men were there, y'all? Oh, I heard three. Nope. That's just one of them trick pastor questions. No, we don't know how many. We, we know there were three gifts. We don't really know how many. They probably had this giant entourage. They were, what were they following? What were the wise men following? A star. And you know what? That may go all the way back to Balaam and Balak, the story back in Numbers, where in that prophecy, it says that there's going to be a star. 
And these guys were from the east and Persians, and they were following. Man, they were looking for a Messiah. Who put it in their heart to look for a Messiah, y'all? Yes, God did. Are you getting uh, an idea of who get, who's in charge of everything? Who's in charge of everything? Who gets the glory for everything? God. He's a big God. Stop worrying about him fixing all your problems and finishing this thing. Just know who a big God is and know that everything that comes in your life is by his design to make you more like him and he gets the glory out of it. Amen? But look how big he is in orchestrating everything. You just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what's going to be added to you? Everything, right? So these guys were like, God put on their heart to study forever. Maybe their grandparents were studying, they were studying, so on. But by the time Jesus was coming around, they were looking for a star, and they started looking. And where did they go, y'all? They came, they came to Jerusalem looking for a star. They figured, dude, if anybody knows about the Messiah, it's probably the most religious place in the world. If anybody wanted to find out how to get saved, where should they come today? Church. But can they come to any church and hear the gospel? <laughs> that, that's why, man, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Christ. If people are looking for Christ, where in the world should they be able to find Christ? In church. And who is the church, y'all? Everybody say me. Yeah, you're the church. And, and you know, if this church, oh, Lord, help us have a spirit-filled service. It ain't going to be spirit-filled unless y'all come spirit-filled because you're the church. It comes together. And so, dude, they're like, well, duh, if you want to find Christ, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's ask the Jews. They're going to tell us. Let's go to the temple. Let's find out. Hey, where's the king of the Jews? And they asked Herod. And what did he say? Oh, uh, what did he say, y'all? I don't know. <laughs> I don't really care about this. I've been too busy dealing with polit politics and dealing with trying to keep my position and making sure my kids and my wife don't take my job. And I'm, I'm too busy with this economy and running this country and too busy. Does that sound familiar? They miss the Messiah, dude. And, 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 and so he said, he went to his guys and said, hey, and look in scripture and tell me, where is this supposed to come about? How's it all supposed to go down? And where did they say it was going to be happening? Bethlehem. Do you remember what Bethlehem means? House of bread, man. House of bread. Do you even like bread or are you like gluten-free? No, just messing with you, but uh, house of bread. And, and so, yeah, it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. So Herod, you guys remember the story? Did Herod get on his camel, boop, 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 then get on his camel and ride all the way down to Bethlehem to see it? No, what do you do? He's like, yeah, I got plenty of other things to do. Hey, you guys go ahead and go. Go ahead and go. And when you go through the effort and you find him, if it's really worth it, then you guys come back and tell me, Right. And why did he say he wanted to see him? Hey, you remember why he said he wanted to see him? Do you remember? Why does anybody, why, what, anybody remember? He wanted to what? Well, that's what inside, but he didn't let people know that because he was deceptive. It, he, he said, I want to what? Worship him. What a liar. Aren't you glad we don't lie like that? <laughs> he, he said, I, I, let me know. I want to worship him. And, and so the wise men went, you can read all of this in Matthew chapter 2, all right, and get all the real details I'm leaving out and stuff. But in this, so he wanted, but he really wanted to do what? And so it was a good job that someone was protecting him. Was that Joseph and Mary? No, who was protecting them? God. Yeah. 
even as a baby in there. And so God was protecting him. And so when they, uh, they found him, right, and they gave the gifts, gold, frankincense, and all of this happened in between this little section right here. They were down in Bethlehem, and that's when the wise men came. So if you've got your wise men in your manger scenes, how many of y'all got wise men in your manger scenes? You'll admit to that, man? That is so unbiblical, man. No, I'm just not. No, they didn't show up till later. They didn't show up till later. It was, it was at least eight, nine months later. I mean, it was like eight months later or so. And these guys found them. And, and, and they worshiped, gave their gifts. And they were like, oh, man. And they had a great time. Read about it in Matthew chapter 2. And, and, and then they got to leave. But before they left, who told them to go a different way? Yeah, God told them. He told them to go a different way. You still getting it? God's telling everybody to do something, and it's always the right thing to do. Hey, and Kirsten, Kirsten, is it Kirsten? Kirsten, not Kristen. All right, Kier, I remember. I kind of go to Kristen, and then I revert to Kirsten. Kirsten, what what should you say when God tells you to do something? Yes, exactly. It was a good thing because the wise men were there, and God said, "Hey, go a different way." And went a different way, and Herod didn't get to kill them at that point. So it went a different way. And then later, uh, God then told Joseph it's to do what? To go where? To go to Egypt. That's how they ended up in Egypt, all right? So yeah, go to Egypt and get away from this guy. And, and so then Herod found out he'd been duped, and, and what was his disposition like? Yeah, he was pretty ticked. So what did he do then? He fulfilled prophecy. He was God's pawn. This is all part of was what God said. You'll know this, the Messiah, because all these things will be filled. But what happened is, is that, is that Herod went in and he had his army kill all the babies in the Bethlehem area, two years old, all the male babies, two years old and under, thinking, I got it. He did have it. He was very thorough, unless you have who protecting you? Yeah, what are you afraid of? Dude, all army coming after a baby, but if you're protected, he's got you. And by the way, we're not talking about this today. It's not ethics class and all that, but let me ask you a question. Those babies that died, where did they go? They went to heaven. Would you rather be here as a baby or in heaven? In a just, I'm just asking, what would you rather? Oh, that's so unfair. God killed all those babies. Where, where would you rather be right now? Abby, would you rather be here as a baby or would you rather be in heaven in perfection? In heaven. And that's not just a Sunday school answer. You think about it. God is just. God is fair. God is awesome. And every one of you, if you have Jesus in your life, you're trusting what he did on the cross to pay for your sins. You're going to end up where? And when you get to heaven, is anyone of you guys going to be like, oh, dude, I really wish I could go back home. I wish I could go back to this earth and, and have all these problems. Now, now, what, are you, what is it going to be like when you get to heaven? What are you going to be like? Perfect. Yeah. You'll never. You ever get in trouble with your parents? Are you ever going to get in trouble with your parents in heaven? Never. Uh, is that good? Yes. And, and even, uh, man, I, Terry, did you ever get in trouble with your mom? Yes. Do you still get in trouble with your mom? Yes, you do. And in heaven, you will not get in trouble with your mom ever again. And that's awesome. Moms do love you, but you'll never have the ability to get in trouble again. So again, understand that. And that's the reality of it. So when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the required law, they did all their things. 
they didn't quite go exactly back there. We have to look. That's why you let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's why you can't make theology off of one little verse. you got to go and see what the whole Bible says about this. And with the Gospels, dude, you can put it all together and you have a complete picture. So they went to Egypt now. Man, they, not, they left Bethlehem, went to Egypt. And how long did they stay in Egypt, y'all? John, how long did they stay in Egypt? Yeah, well, I don't really actually know, but they stayed in Egypt until who said they could go? God! Again, what's the answer? Who gets to tell you when to go to Egypt? Who tells you when to leave Egypt? Who makes it possible for you to get to Egypt? Oh my goodness, these kids, they, they came broke. They're broke, brand new married couple, not even fully married, a whole nine yards, all of this. They come down and, and they're in Bethlehem. They're broke. But all of a sudden, these wise men show up with things that are going to allow them to be able to live in Egypt and do this traveling and then get back to Nazareth where they're going to be. So who provides? God. Who is it that we have to seek first and do what he wants us to do? What if, Scott, go to Egypt. No, I don't really like the weather in Egypt right now. It's kind of dry climate for me. I'd rather go to the other. No, you got to go to Egypt if that's where... Well, what do we got to go to Egypt for? You ever talk to God that way? What do I got to do? Why? Do your kids ever talk to you that way? Why do I have to do that? Why do we? Where do they get that from? You. I'm just saying. Yeah. But dude, just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. And, And so in this, they went to Egypt. And when did they leave Egypt? When who told them? God told them to leave. And, and how did Joseph even respond? If you all go back and read Matthew chapter 2. When he, they were first told to leave Egypt, what, how did Joseph respond? Anybody remember? He, he was kind of scared. He heard that the, the son of the leader was like in that area in Jerusalem. He thought he was really going back to Bethlehem maybe or somewhere. And then God said, no, go, go. And when God says go, what do you do, Mac? You go. <laughs> And is timing ever of the essence? Yeah, when God says go, you go. Don't twiddle your thumbs. Don't wait. Go. I mean, he knows the past, the present, the future. He's perfect. Who better to call the shots? Who better to give you direction than one that knows everything, that can do anything, and that's everywhere? He says go. Why would you not want to go? Why would you not want to go? If he says go, why would you not want to go? Jules, because who doesn't want to go? I don't want to go. And is that, isn't that why we don't go sometimes? God says go, and like, I don't want to go. But we don't really say it that way, do we, Steve? We say it more like, oh, but this is not lined up, and this, and this, and this, so I'll go when this is all. And God said, no, go. Kirsten, how important is it in Haiti to go when God says go? Because you may not have an opportunity to go again. What's that? No, there's no plan B. And is there a plan B in America? No. We make plan Bs and we make plan Cs and we wonder why we miss God's glory. Because we have all these resources. We can go make something happen and then say, oh, look what God did. When in reality, when you have nothing but plan A, you do what God wants you to do, when God wants you to do it, how he wants you to do it. And it's plan A and it's glorious. That's why everybody needs to go third world where there is only a plan a on a regular basis i can't wait if i can ever start taking you guys to haiti again because when you realize you don't need your plan b your c your d you just need plan g which is plan who 
God. So all of a sudden, they go now from Egypt, unwillingly actually, all the way back to Nazareth. Now we get here. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, which we could have talked about that, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, a little podunk town that, dude, it didn't even have a Walmart or a Pizza Hut, man. I'm just saying, back in the day when I pastored in Webster, anybody know where Webster, Florida is? Dude, it's our West. Oh, you know, you're from Plant City. Yeah, dude. Webster was highfalutin flea market for y'all. Yeah, and cattle sale. And uh, yeah, so man, when I pastored in Webster, dude, it was like we had in Bushnell, like Webster, we didn't have nothing and nobody wanted them. We had to go to Bushnell if we wanted a Pizza Hut and a Walmart. And if you wanted a real Walmart and anything else, you had to go to Leesburg. Or you go to Ocala, Lakeland, Tampa, Orlando, or Tampa and Orlando, whichever way y'all are looking. And but, but yeah, that's what Wall, Webster, that's kind of like what we're looking at here in Nazareth. Dude, there was nothing there. It was just a population center. And that's where God wanted to raise the Messiah as a child. Man, that's cool. Now, I'm not saying move out of the city and go find some place in the country. That's what God's saying to raise your kid. Don't do it if he says to. But, but the point is, that's where Jesus was. They went back to Nazareth. But the important point of getting the mom and dad from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and Bethlehem to Egypt and Egypt up back up again to Nazareth, that baby had to be what? What's the P word? Protected and protected by God. How many of y'all here would raise your hand and say, I am protected by God? Amen. <coughs> when we go out paddleboarding, we go out there and there's three different kinds of mangroves out there. Right, Barb? Three kinds of mangroves. And the one... They're called red mangroves. Y'all look at the red mangroves, and they have prop roots all growing down. It's all growing down. In fact, where we paddle back through the jungle trails, it's just tons of these red mangroves. And so what God does in the wintertime, he did it in the summer, the little baby fish would turn to chowder. So in the wintertime, the fish go offshore and they spawn. And then he creates huge tides and sucks all the baby fish in to the inlet. And guess where he pushes all the baby fish that make it through if they don't get eaten in the inlet by the sharks and all the other fish, which there's no public see, so that's how God feeds them. But a bunch of them make it through. And when they make it through, guess where God puts them? He puts them back into the mangroves in those little prop roots. And if they stay back there in those prop roots, do they have to worry about the barracuda? Chuck, they got to worry about the big old snook. No, do they even have to worry about Marley? No, because he's going to get his hook caught in there before he can even get all the way back in there, right? <laughs> you know how I know that? Because I snorkel back in those mangroves, and I find fishing hooks and lures all the time. They never make it back to the snook. If you stay in that protection, dude, you're protected. But guess what happens when them fish get cocky? Them little fish, can you imagine little fish thinking, oh, I'm a big fish now, and you're not. And they, and they disobey their parents. The parent fish, I've heard them talk before. I'm joking. But they're like, stay in the mangroves, stay in. No, actually, in fish world, the, big fi the parent fish will eat the baby fish later. Aren't you glad you're not a fish? Dude, because I know your mom and dad, dude, and y'all would, all of y'all, dude, y'all be gone. Your parents are good fishermen. <laughs> like, all right. So anyways, as long as you stay back in those mangroves, in that protection, you're okay. But the minute you get cocky and you decide to get out from under there, you're still protected by God, and you're not going to die until when, tiny? 
when he's done with you. But it, can you get hurt in the meantime? Swimming back to the mangroves, can you get your tail bit? <laughs> you know, can you get knocked around and bruised? Yeah, it's needless injuries if we stay under the protection God has for us. So, man, I'm telling you guys, the world you guys are growing up in is going to tell you, no, this is how we do it. This is, this is how it happens. You don't need to know. Stay under God's protection. And his protection is his word. That's why y'all, y'all know how to read, right? Yeah, y'all learned to read, been reading a long time. Read the word of God. If that's your protection, that's the word you need to read. You can read all the other stuff, but you need that because that's your protection. And it's the same with all the adults out here, too. So when Jesus' parents fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth of Galilee. But it, they only got there because God protected them. They followed him. He protected them. So the first thing we know about Jesus is he was protected. If anybody was, the devil wanted to kill anybody, it would have been the baby Jesus. But he protected him. Next we're going to see is he was perfect. Check this out. I talked about a perfect sibling. He was perfect, all right? And it says, there the child grew up. And it's not just talking about physically in this. The child grew up. He came as a baby. Was he 100% God? Absolutely, we know that. But he was also 100% human. And so the way it works, we know from Philippians, we know even from Hebrews that he learned God's will in his life through suffering. It says in Hebrews, I think I want to say chapter 4, you just go read the whole book of Hebrews this afternoon, you'll find it, I promise. Hebrews chapter 4, though, I believe, it says that he learned through suffering. So as he, as a perfect person being confronted with things that made him suffer, he went back to God's word and he learned God's will through his word through suffering. Any theology that takes suffering out of your life is straight from the pit of hell because it took Christ to suffer, to actually learn the word of God, which he had to do. Now he was 100% God. As 100% God, as 100% God, did he know everything? Yes. Could he go anywhere and be everywhere? Yes. Could he do anything? Yes. He was omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent as God. But when he came as a human, all of that package of God was veiled in a human form. Could he still do all that? Yes, except. We know from Scripture, and especially Philippians chapter 2, but again, there's verses in Hebrews and so on that tell us what happened is he surrendered to God the Father to say, the only time my glory is going to be unveiled, like Superman, like, you know, the only time you're going to see my glory is when God the Father decides you're going to see my glory. Me as a human, I'm not going to decide that. Me as God, as Jesus Christ, I'm not going to decide that. I'm coming down to be human, and I'm going, but I'm fully God, encapsulated, in, you know, veiled in this humanity. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to regulate this for me. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John, all those guys, dude, they were like, whoa! I mean, that was where, you know, y'all even eat M&Ms. I'm trying not to reduce Christ to M&M, but I'm just saying, dude, when you get through the hard part on the, do you like the hard part on it? Do you like M&Ms? Any of y'all like, you like M&Ms, right? Do you like the hard part? Do you just lick the hard part off and let somebody else have the chocolate? No, the chocolate's a good part, right? You know, and, and, and so again, you know, dude, 
He showed him the chocolate. <laughs> That's what he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he looked like a regular M&M going through everything as a, as a human. It says, in fact, that he suffered. Listen, he, saw, he was tempted in all ways like us. But he never sinned in this. So as a child... He let the Holy Spirit regulate when the glory of God, when the chocolate was going to be exposed, if you will. For those of you who need a mental picture, he, 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 he let the Holy Spirit decide when he was going to be omniscient. Because there are times in Scripture where you say, oh, and he already knew how people thought and he knew all this and knew all this. How did he know all that? Because God allowed him to know that in that point. He was God. He knew it all. But the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you can, you can do that as a human. He, the Holy Spirit regulated it all in this. But he had to grow up. He had to learn scripture. God, doesn't sound weird. God had to learn scripture. But it, 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 and he did. So the, the child grew up healthy and strong. Okay, so Christ definitely. Oh, yeah. Nobody agree, disagrees. He grew up physically. Okay. Yes, he was a baby. He had to grow up to be a man physically. Grew up healthy and strong. And the way the Greek presents this, it says, then he was filled with wisdom. And, and that strong when he grew up healthy, he grew up strong, and what that strong is related to is him being filled with wisdom. Wisdom is seeing life from whose perspective, y'all? God's perspective. So listen, as he went through, according to Hebrews chapter 4, it says he learned, uh, he learned the will of God. He learned about God. He learned uh, uh, by his suffering. He learned God's will by his suffering. So every time he got put in a position where he suffered, and how many times would you suffer as a perfect human being that never sinned? Oh, you wouldn't know, would you? <laughs> I wouldn't either. But can you imagine if you were perfect? Listen, if you were perfect, man, how tough would it be to live with that guy next to you? I mean, how tough would it be to live in this world with imperfect people? You know, and, 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 and so would that, how many of y'all, if you were perfect and you lived with imperfect people, how many of y'all would get tired of people and you would sin just telling them how stupid they were? Seriously, seriously. Yeah. How many of y'all do that already thinking you're perfect? Oh God, come on. You know, some of y'all have that tendency, but, but yeah, he literally was perfect. He was, per he never sinned. We do know that about him. He never sinned. He was only omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Now, here, a lot of people have a disagreement with that whole omniscient thing, but you got to take the whole package. Was he omnipresent all the time? No, he could be in one place at one time as a human being. Could he have been everywhere? Yes, if the Holy Spirit said, let's unveil you and let you be everywhere at one time. You know, so you know he wasn't omnipresent, you know, was he omnipotent? Could he do anything at any time? No. In fact, Scripture clearly says he only did the supernatural things when God the Father. He's always telling people, I, I, I'm only doing what the Father has revealed to me. I'm only doing what the Father's telling me to do. And so he surrendered. He had all that power inside. Hey, what is it that you like about Moses so much, Judy? He was the what? The most meek, humble, meekest man to ever live. I want to take that further. And that is what the Bible says. Christ was the meekest man. You know what meekness is? It's power under control. Can you imagine having all that power, all that ability, but it's under the discretion of somebody else like God the Father? 
You know, do you think there was ever a time where Jesus really wanted to nail one of his brothers with a lightning bolt? Has there ever been a time where you want to nail one of your brothers or sisters with a lightning bolt? Jules, ever in your life? I know they're watching you right now, and, and that sister's watching you because that's the one you probably wanted to nail with a lightning bolt, right? I'm just saying, has she ever done a, you know, maybe when you were littler, not now. It's a perfect relationship now, right? But yeah, dude, I mean, if you had the ability, would you not want to nail somebody with a lightning bolt, especially if you were perfect and they weren't? But he never did. It was power under control, and it was the control of who? So if we're going to be like Christ, what the, any bit of power we have has to be under the control of who? Yeah. You don't let somebody... How many of you ever give somebody a piece of your mind that you can't afford to give? <laughs> you give them a piece of wrath, you know, because it was there. And God didn't really tell you to do that. All the power we have, especially supernatural powers of believers, got to be under control of who again? God. God Almighty. The child grew up healthy and strong, and what made him strong is he was filled with wisdom. wasn't full of wisdom. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Well, of course he's the favorite. He's perfect, <laughs> right? So let me ask you, and again, when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees Christ. He sees the finished work of Christ. So there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or make you love you less if you are born again. He loves you because of what Christ did. He looks down and sees what Christ... He doesn't see you as you are, so to speak, now. He sees you as you're going to be in heaven. And isn't that a good thing? How many of y'all, besides me and Gary, are grateful for that? And I just pick on Gary because he's my partner in crime. Sam, yeah, you can be a partner in crime. And, and, and same with you, Chuck, bro. Man, do you ever want Marley to go through what you went through? He's your godson, right? That's the purpose is, dude, God doesn't want you to do what I did. Rah! You know? So he grew up healthy and strong. Um, uh, in, in the strength that he had was spiritual strength. How many of y'all realize physical strength? How many of y'all used to be stronger physically than you are now? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Rick, Man, I love when I tell these guys, oh, I used to, and they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you never did that, you know, because they look at us now and they see us walking like Fred Sanford and they're like, yeah, right. Physical strength goes away. It's gone. Spiritual strength grows. We, we, and, and the most beautiful spiritual people should be the oldest. But how many of y'all know a bunch of grumpy old Christians? Look like they've been sucking on sour pickles all day. <laughs> Quit talking about me that way. <laughs> yeah. And when I'm not filled with the Spirit, that's who I am. But when I'm filled with the Spirit as I'm walking with Him, it becomes more beautiful and more beautiful as time goes on. Because we grow. So what is it that stops us from growing in the Lord? Hey, what is it that stops us from growing? It begins with S, ends with N, and has I in the middle. What? Sin, yeah, sin. So sin stops us growing. Sin stunts our growth. Sin hinders our growth. Sin makes us weak. All of these things. So if Christ never sinned, he was strong. That's what it says. He was healthy and strong because he never sinned. And, and that does even go back physically too. He didn't smoke or, you know, and that stuff. When he, I'm just saying, bottom line, he was strong. But he was strong spiritually because he never sinned. So the less you sin, 
are you going to get stronger or weaker spiritually? Can you imagine what a powerhouse you would be if you would just take what God wants you to get rid of and get rid of it? Or if God, you would say yes to the things God wants you to do. Can you imagine how much stronger you would be? All right, everybody should raise their hand, but only some of y'all are going to. How many of y'all know there's some stuff God wants you to get rid of your life and there's some stuff he wants you to add? Anybody know that? Good, rest of you are liars and you just got weak. I'm just saying. But all of you guys, man, who raised your hand, can you imagine what a powerhouse you would be when you say no to that thing God wants you to say no to and you say yes to the thing he wants you to say yes to? If sin is weakening you, how much stronger will you be if you reject it? And by the way, what is the only way that you can tell God that you love him? By obedience, by doing what he says. It's not from, oh, I love you, Lord, and worship song. That is, that's good. But man, the proof's got to be in the pudding, and the pudding is your life. That's old country say, how many of y'all don't know proof's in the pudding? You ever heard of that? And you're like, what the heck did he just say? <laughs> oh, you heard that on Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> but, but seriously, sin weakens you. So imagine if we get more obedient to Christ, even if physically we want this, we want something that's wrong, but we say, no, I'm not going to do it because I love you. I want it, but I know you don't want it, so I'm not going to do it because I love you. That would work in our own relationships, wouldn't it? You know, Chris, take notes on that, man. You know, but definitely let your wife know, I don't really want to do this. Even get a shirt and say, I'm, I really don't even want to be here, but I love you, so I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be grumpy the whole time we're doing it. No, how's that going to work? No. It, it, he doesn't do that, does he? So he doesn't wear the shirt. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, if you really do it out of love, oh my goodness, if you really do it out of love, they're like, oh, you know, get that demon out of Chris. And I'm just like, who is this? When, when he really is doing it out of love, it just doesn't that just melt you? It's like, oh my goodness. And you could be the most loving person, but when you continue doing stuff out of love, it's just like, wow, that's awesome. And that's how we show God we love him. If it is just going through the motions at first, that's better than not going through the motions. The harder it is for you to choose him, the more love you're actually showing. But the more you start doing it his way, the more you'll want to do it his way. And then there'll be just that true love of where, what do you want me to do now, God, and I'm doing it. But if all you got in you is, I really want to do this wrong thing, but I'm not going to because I love you. Not, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to get hit with a giant fly swatter. <laughs> but no, I want, I'm going to do the right thing just because I love you. Even though everything in my flesh wants it. I'm going to do the right thing. God receives that love. And that's why he gave us choices. is so we could show him we love him. And without a choice, we would have no way to do that. So man, it's like, Christ never sinned, so he never got weakened by sin. So, man, he was perfect. And the perfection shows us how powerful he was spiritually. If you want to experience that power, then start choosing him and realize that every time you don't choose him, there is a consequence. And sometimes we think, oh, nobody will know. Uh, you know what? There's, I'll, get, I'll get past this. There's no big deal. We'll just do this and we'll get over it. I have to do it. It's going to make life easier. All these other things. And it's a big lie from the pit of hell. Because what it does is it weakens you spiritually. 
So man, he was perfect. And he was strong because of it. You, how many of y'all already blown perfection? You're like, well, then what's the use? Well, what's the use? Why don't you just go lay in bed and stay there? And eat bonbons and eat, eat Oreos all day, you know? Go get them little Debbies. They're really good for you, man. Get you some of them oatmeal little Debbies and just lay in bed with a big screen TV and just pile them in. Go to bed at night with them in your mouth and let them dissolve as you go to sleep. So when you wake up in the morning, man, you could just return it and go. Some of y'all are saying, dude, what a great idea. But what's going to happen to you? You're going to get fat and lazy. You're going to die. You're going to be obese. You're not going to be able to get out of bed. You're going to get atrophy. You're just going to fall apart. That's what sin does. One little Debbie at a time. And I'm not blaming little Debbie. Uh, you get my point. Reject it. Do what God wants you to do, man, and understand how he's beefing you up. There's strength in that. That's what Christ showed us. Look at this super quick. He had righteous parents. Dude, he had righteous parents. I didn't say perfect parents. I said right. righteous parents, man. And only perfect parents can expect perfect kids. Use that on your parents, all right, and see how that works. But I'm just saying. <laughs> But in that, they've got our jeans, don't they, dude? <laughs> Even if we don't wear jeans, they've got our jeans. That's why I don't have jeans. My kids have them. All right, there we go. But they have righteous parents. Parents are there to show they're a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift. And one of the most important jobs you have, more important than the one that gives you the paycheck, is raising your kids. Who can do your job? Hey, Terry, how many people could do your job? Could they find somebody to do your job? Obviously not as good as you. Yeah, your job. You selling them big, big shears that cuts cars in half and grinds up stuff, man. And could they find somebody else to do that job? They could. And I, I'm covering with the blood that they don't. It's all good because <laughs> you need that job, all right? But who else can be Fernanda's husband? Could anybody be Fernanda's husband? You hope not. Yeah, that's a good, that is a way better answer. I thought you were going to look at her and say, heck no, nobody else could be her husband. No. <laughs> but I know that's not what you meant. You were just like, I hope not, because I love her, and she's my wife. And you know what? Then she takes priority over that job. How about these three precious girls you got? Now the one that's almost taller than you, dude. Can you believe that? Yeah. Can anybody be their daddy? No, no, no. Oh, somebody could be their daddy. Can somebody be your dad? Can somebody take your daddy's? Oh, nobody can take. You're the only one who can be their daddy. That's priority. If somebody can do your job, they can do your job, but they can't be your wife's husband and they can't be your children's daddy. So, dude, you got to be that. And Terry is. You call him all the time. Super dad. All right. And he's he's not. He's a messed up person, just like all the rest of y'all. But. But dude, those are his priorities in life as long as I've known him. And there's many of you, I could say that. I could say it about Chris. I say that about a lot of you in this, in this. But again, keep your priorities straight. He had righteous parents, righteous parents. How, you know, yes, kids can become righteous. They can learn the right thing from other people. But how sad when God gave them to you for that purpose. Captain Mac, if you do raise them perfectly righteous, are they going to absolutely turn out perfectly righteous no in fact one time we were in a bible study he has immortal words that are burned into my brain we were at a bible study out on the island and out of passing he said something so profound he said god gives us kids to keep us driven to our knees 
How many of y'all agree with that? Ashley, you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, no, no. Please tell Ashley it's going to be all over when they're in their 20s. <laughs> Look at Terry. How old are you? 48. And he's still getting in trouble with his mom. So, so there's no hope for Keone, dude. <laughs> he's got my genes. All right. So I'm just saying. Yeah. But righteous parents, there's no guarantee they're going to be righteous kids. But dude, when you stand before God Almighty and he says, what did you do with those kids I gave you, man? You should be able to answer him. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You're not responsible for the result. You're responsible for being the example. And man, I'm just going to tell you, dude, for this generation right here, you think the school system's showing them faith? And I love a lot of teachers. My wife's one of them. But you think they're going to learn it in the school system? Oh, I know where they're going to learn it. They're going to learn it on Netflix. <laughs> oh, they're going to learn it on the Hallmark Channel. Let's tone them down. No, dude, did y'all watch Hallmark at Christmas? It's gay. It's woke. And not in the right. I'm just saying. Dude, they're not learning it from anybody but a spirit-filled believer. And that's whose job it is. They had righteous parents. Look at this. Every year. Every year. So how often do they do what they're... You don't even have to know what they're doing. Quit looking. But it says, how often do they do it? Every year. So there was something your parents did every year. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem from Nazareth to relive. Do you think Joseph made her ride a donkey and filled, put a pillow in her belt? You know, uh, They relived that there, but it wasn't for that. The Jewish men, the men, not the families and the kids, just the men were required three times, three times the arthritis. I can't do that. I might flick you off, but three times on per accident, three times a year they were supposed to go. Um, um, it was Passover. Uh, it was Pentecost and it was the ta Feast of Tabernacles. They were supposed to go down to Jerusalem. The men were and, and spend at least a day there. But at Passover, they would go on the Feast of Passover, but then there'd be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was a week-long event. And you were really pretty dedicated if you took your family down there once a year and your whole family went. You were dedicated. Why? Could there have been reasons why not to go? Yes. Who's going to take care of the cows? Who's going to take care of the house? The house is going to, somebody's going to break. What? All kinds of things. But dude, this family went down once a year and spent the week there. It was what they did because God was a priority. That was one of the ways they could show that God was a priority. And we have to teach our kids that God's a priority in our life by our actions. And we get lots of opportunities to do that, don't we? Now, it doesn't mean they're going to turn out perfect. I mean, look at these four right here. Are you guys perfect? No. Are you better than your parents were at your age? I bet your parents are going, yes, yes, they were. <laughs> but every year they went down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And they spent the week for the unleavened bread. They were there every week, every year. And, and this was 12 years of it with Jesus. Actually, we're going to find out he was 12 years old. But every year they went. What a testimony to the kids. Again, it doesn't guarantee the kids are going to turn out right. It doesn't guarantee that everything's because everybody's got to make their own decision. There are no spiritual grandchildren. Everybody has to get saved on their own. But dude, if you... Show them how important it is and how it works in your life, then at least they know that when the world's telling them something else. And maybe, if nothing else, y'all raise some smart kids, <laughs> but that's not how it comes either. It comes through, through the heart. 
It comes from them surrendering their will and saying, I want to live for Christ. I want to live. And you pray for that for your kids, man. Pray for that. And I want you to know, I didn't give my life to Christ till five to seven years after my mom had died. <laughs> so if she knows, she maybe knew from heaven, but I knew all that she told me, and I didn't get saved till long after she was gone. I just made fun of her for it while she was alive. So if your kids are making fun of you for it right now, look at me. They could be just like me one day. You're like, oh, great. <laughs> it's like, awesome. <laughs> Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. My parents did let me know how important that spiritual stuff was in their life. And, and my mom did say, this is one of the things that, got, that, that really got my brain moving when I got saved. My mom used to always say, here's what she used to say to me. And this is just a beauty salon up front for you, isn't it, man? That is awesome. I like what you're doing. You're, you have cool hair, bro. Uh, you guys should try what he's doing, man. Maybe I'll bring some gel up here. and you guys. But my mom used to always say to me, listen to this. She said, if, if life's not going right, check your relationship with God out. And at 25 years old, four years, it was 1987, Christmas 87, beginning of that year, or end of that year, all during that time, I was like, you know what? I, things aren't going right, and I really don't have a relationship with God. You know what I have? I have a lucky charm. I'd go up to play baseball, and I'd go, oh, you know, just because I saw pros do it, and it couldn't hurt, Right? You know, I'd be like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. Let's bargain. Let's dicker. Let's just... I didn't have a relationship. And so my prayer of salvation was this, God, if you can salvage, if you're for real, and I believe you are, and you can salvage anything out of this life, it's yours. And he said, good, I want you to be a preacher. And I've told you this story before, like, yeah, right. Who am I going to preach to? People I sold drugs to? He said, for starters. I can't be like those guys on TV. He said, I don't want you to be like those guys on TV. I want you to be a spirit-filled you. And I'm going to use you in ways that I created you to be used. You know that little fish that, hey, that, you know that little fish that stays stuck to a shark? What's its name? A remora, dude. He said, I'm like this big bull shark, dude. And your remora stuck to me. Is that remora have to worry about food? Does it have to worry about protection? None of that as long as it's stuck to the shark, right? Does it have to worry about where it's going? No, not as long as it stays stuck to a shark. And he said, that's what I want you to do. I gave it a special head to stay stuck to a shark. I'm going to give you a special head called faith to stay stuck to me. But you got to use it. Because that remora, what happens during a feeding frenzy? That remora gets out and tries to get its own food. He might become food. What happens he gets out during a time of a feeding frenzy? He might not be protected. And what if that shark takes off? Man, he, he can't go anywhere in his own fins. And y'all know y'all tried going in your own fins before, haven't you? But you stay stuck to God, man. You can go where his fins take you, which is places you can't ever go on your own. So, man, it was my parents. It was my mom saying, hey, check your relationship out with God. And um, I realized at one point, I heard all the right stuff. I didn't have one. And it was time to get one. And God used that in my life. So don't ever give up parents. And if your parent, it's now, because I guarantee if you were to look at my life then, you're, you may think your kid's life is hopeless, but man, nobody's too hard for God to save, right? Nobody's too hard to save. Look at Captain Mary. <laughs> he saved her. <laughs> look at, you know, look at Carol Lee. God saved her, man. And if you're like, well, it wasn't very hard to save me, you were probably the hardest one to save because you had to get through your little thick shell of pride. He's the one who saves and we pray for our kids. We pray for people 
There comes a time where we talk less to them about God and we talk more to God about them and let God work on their heart. How many of y'all believe that there's people so hard that they can't get saved? I hope you're... That's not, there isn't, Laura. God can break... He's the, the hammer that can crush the hardest stone. Isn't that right, Gary? And he's going to do it when you don't want him to do it. And you got no choice, man. He's a powerful God that can save anyone. Beef up that prayer life, y'all. So every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Check this out. How old was Mary just a few verses before when the Holy Spirit came to her and said, Oh, favored one, I'm going to get you pregnant. And you're going to have a baby and it's the Messiah. How old was she? 12, 13 years old. Jesus is now that age. Which, by the way, at 13 was when the Jewish culture, even at that time, said that's when now you're responsible for the law. Later, they had a, a ceremony, I think, called Bar Mitzvah or something like that, right? But, uh, yeah, 13. But it came from that because at 13, you were now responsible for the law. And we know, we're going to know that Jesus knew his purpose. He knew. He went. He was 12 years old, and he knew his purpose, that he was the Messiah. So you think he was viewing Passover in a different way? <laughs> you bet he was. But when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival just as usual. But he knew his purpose in this. Look at this. Almost done. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. God, how would that make you feel? You're at a rowing meet, dude, and they're on their way home, and you're sitting there like, and they took your cell phone, it's in the car, and you're like, you know, how would that make you feel? Well, what if you were with a bunch of friends, and they just thought you were with friends? Would that make you feel a little better? Yeah, what if you didn't care? What if you just kind of went off and you had something more important to do than be with your parents? That's tough because you're not Jesus, but Jesus was Jesus, and he did have something more important than being with his parents at this point. You don't ever have that situation. <laughs> Never. No. Don't listen to the pastor. If you don't listen No, you don't ever have that position. No, but Christ did, and that's the important thing we're going to see here. After celebration over, they stayed home to Nazareth, but Jesus, who never sinned, stayed in Jerusalem. How many of y'all tell your kids right now that is a sin? Tell them, Terry, that is a sin. That's right. You got Mason over here? Tell them that is a sin. Lucinda, would that be a sin? <laughs> yes. All right. But you're not Jesus. All right. And you're going to see he was different. So they started another. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. Well, they were in a big crowd and they had family together. How many of you ever loved? Ashley, you ever been in a big crowd and you really don't know where Keone's at? Yes, every Tuesday we're paddleboarding. We got a ton of people. It's like, he's in the woods somewhere. He's on that island somewhere because somebody's going to keep an eye on him, right? That's kind of where they were. Does that make you a bad parent? How many of y'all think that makes Ashley a bad parent? <laughs> no. All right, good. Then we raise our hand externally. But uh, anyways, uh, so his parents didn't miss him at first. It's not a bad thing necessarily at that point because they assumed. Now, there's a problem when you start assuming things, you get in trouble. They assumed he was among other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, so there's one day they traveled all day. Your parents didn't even, they're eating dinner, man. They're eating ribs or eating whatever, man. They're pigging out. They're like, oh, dude, where's Jules at? He was like, oh, maybe we left her. And they didn't have a car. They have to walk all the way back to the rowing meet. So because they assumed he was among other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, 
they started looking for him among the relatives. They were looking at all the dinner table. Where's he at? Where's he at? Not there. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem. That's day two. They were gone a day. They had to travel back a day to go to Jerusalem. And then you can see it took a whole day to find him, right? Would you be scared at that point? If Would you be scared? Ethan, would you be scared? Or would you be like, no, dude, we're checking things. How about you, Mason? Would you be scared? Would you be crying? I would be. Yeah. But Jesus had a purpose in this. He knew his purpose. Parents been gone two days. They're now looking for him in Jerusalem. Three days later, that's the third day. The third day, they finally discovered him. Where? In the temple. Sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them, and he's asking questions. And, and that could be Keone. <laughs> could you see Keone in a group of like businessmen somewhere is listening and asking questions? But I'm not just saying that they would be impressed with those. They might be, they might not. Anybody can ask questions, especially if you're bold or whatever. But look at this part. All who heard him were what? Because Jesus is amazing. Yeah, God, I like that. There you go. Uh, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Why? Because he had never sinned, and therefore he was spiritually stronger than all the humans his age or even beyond his age who had been weakening themselves with sin, which may be the very point that God wants to make to all of us today, that sin weakens us. And that Jesus is God. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Their son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching everywhere. How many of y'all could relate to that? How many of y'all would limit yourself to just those two statements? <laughs> Erica, just one? Or you think you would have to repeat them? Of, hey, Emily, would I have to repeat those statements? Yes, many times. Yes, many, many times. Repetition is a form of learning. You learn that way, right? But yeah, there it was. Boom. But look what he answered. Why'd you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? In other words, he knew his purpose. At 12 years old, he knew he was the Messiah because he had been spiritually strong, not letting sin weaken him. And he was growing uh, in his relationship as a human, already as God, but as a human through suffering, seeing everything from God's perspective and learning God's will for his life. But at this point, everything about his purpose was revealed to him. He knew he was the Messiah. Hey, if you knew you were the Messiah and one day you were going to have to die, it's 12 years, you're 12 years old and you know everything about the future. You know what Jesus' last day would be like, right? How many of y'all would like to get it over with instead of wait another 18 years for it to happen? How many of y'all are a little impatient right now waiting on what God's wanting you to do? Think about that. 12 years old, he knew what he was supposed to do. And like as a human, probably wanted it now, but he wanted it when the Father wanted him to have it. In fact, when he was tempted in the wilderness, 40 days, Satan said, oh, if you're really son of God, make these stones bread. No. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that God says. Think about how patient he was in knowing his purpose, but waiting for God's plan. That's where we mess things up also. Christ never sinned. He waited patiently for the plan, which is our next point. He patiently followed God's plan. Don't miss that. At 12, he knew he was the Messiah, knew the plan. But look what happens in this. I don't have another verse there. 
Oh, oh, it says, but they, they didn't understand what he meant. He returned to Nazareth with them. And what happened? Can you read that to me? What did he do? So let's just say one day you know you're a genius. You're going to own this huge company like that's multi-billion. You're going to be running the world. Let's just say you know one day you're going to be running the world. And you know that's what God's going to do with you. You know it. You're 11, 12 years old right now, right? But you're not going to do it till you're 30. Would it be awful hard to take your parents' commands knowing that one day you're going to be ruling over them? Would it, your sister's like going, rah, 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 and you're like, dude, one day you're going to be eating my dirt, man. One day you're, no, I'm just like, no, one day I'm going to be in charge of you. One day you'll be working for me. One day you'll be, think about if you knew right now what was going to happen then, how hard would it be to be in submission? If you knew you were going to take over your company, how hard would it be and to be in submission right now, knowing you had all the answers already? You just had to wait on God. And this is where this spoke to me the hardest. Not that I have some great vision of something I know I'm going to do, but imagine having that much power and knowing who you are, knowing what God's plan is, but waiting. How many of y'all have a hard time waiting? Waiting. Waiting. Don't miss what God's got in this season of life. You think Jesus learned anything from 12 to 30? <laughs> or you think God just wasted that time? No, he learned a lot. So he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. How many of y'all as mothers would be like storing it all, all in your heart because this is so weird, <laughs> because this is so different? But then again, think of Jesus patiently waiting for his father's plan to enact. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you're in a hurry. Maybe you're getting impatient. But who's in charge of everything, y'all? Yeah. He grew in wisdom and in stature. Look what they did first. He grew in that relationship with God, seeing life from God's perspective. And he grew physically. But as he grew in wisdom, he grew in favor with God and all the people. He was doing the right thing, so he was getting the right results. He wasn't suffering consequences because of sin. And that's kind of, I think, where we end on this. So the only thing we know about Jesus was he was protected. How many of y'all know you're protected by God? Dustin, man, uh, good to see you. Is that your girlfriend? You want to introduce her, man? What's your name? All right. right We've been praying a long time that God would hook Dustin up with somebody, man. No, I'm just not. No, no man, we love Dustin, man. We kind of, it's good to see you today, bro. But man, has God been having his, I mean, you went through a degree, you went came from California, another California refugee, man. They came, man, you went through this big degree at Miami where they promised everything, and how much did they deliver? Zero. And, and now what's God have you doing? He has you actually doing Red Cross, and you were very instrumental in running this stuff over with the last hurricane. What a blessing. That, how, how long did it take for God to prepare you to oversee that huge project from that huge hurricane? How long has he been preparing you? Your entire life, yeah. He was protecting you the whole way through so you could do that. Is he done with you now? That's why he's got, got a woman in your life now, so just be open. No, dude, it, you're getting prepared for the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. But man, you're protected by God. Dig the season you're in. Don't you think sometimes the season you're in right now, you're like, oh, God's not protecting me this season. I'm on my own. Well, no, make sure you're being protected by God and you're getting out of this season what God wants you to get out. So as a child, he was protected. You're protected. He was perfect. How many of y'all are perfect? Please don't raise your hand because you just blew it. <laughs> You'd be lying again. No, 
you're not, but get, don't miss the point. Because he never sinned, he never lost strength. He gained strength. And so the more we reject sin and do it God's way, the stronger we get and the more we get to experience what God wants us to experience. He had righteous parents. How many of y'all are parents, grandparents? Invest in the kingdom by investing in that next generation, not just with words, but more importantly, with actions. And when you do mess up, apologize. Let them know, I am not perfect, but this is not how it should be but th- or how it should have been, but this is how it should be. Be the righteous parent, the righteous grandparent. And if your grandkids aren't here, how many of y'all know there's a bunch of kids running around? Dude, go be their grandparent. I'm not saying give them candy on the side or not. You know, parents don't frown on that nowadays. But I'm, I'm just saying go show them who God is. And pray that somebody be doing that with your grandkids in another place. He knew his purpose. You know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to glorify God through obedience. That's your purpose. That was Jesus' purpose in a nutshell. And that's ours. We let him deal with all the rest of it. You got, if you've got Christ, you've got heaven already set, dude. You're already set. You got a little bit of time here to show him how much you love him and represent him and what a privilege it is to represent him here. So patiently stick to God's plan. Oh, man, sometimes the world wants to get us to deviate. Sometimes we want to deviate. It's not working out. God knows when to rest you, knows when to test you. You know God's way is right. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything's added unto you. You know these things, so stick patiently to God's plan. Don't you guys ever give up on God's plan. You're going to have more opportunities and people encouraging you to resist God's plan and you stick with it and let God show himself strong through your life because that's what he's going to do. Don't give up on his plan. And I believe that's what God wanted me to share with you today. Let's bow and pray. Father, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And that's the only way I can even come. (laughs) Uh, You covered me with your blood. So when you look down at me, you see righteousness. Not mine, but you see Jesus's. But yeah, you got me in this process of sanctification where every day there's stuff coming in my life. Choices. And I can choose to love you or I can choose to love me or something or someone else. But if I choose to love you, it makes me stronger in my faith. And the stronger I am in my faith, the less everything else seems to matter. Oh, Father, I pray for all of us that when we have those choices, we would choose not to sin. Because you told us in 1 Corinthians through Paul, there's no temptation taking us but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted above that we're able. But with the temptation, he will make a way to escape. Father, help us look for your way to escape a temptation. Help us realize we don't have to make our own way. Help us look for your way. And help us walk away from temptation. Temptation is nothing more than an opportunity to do something good in a bad way. Help us wait for your good way to do it. Your perfect way to do it then we can enjoy it. We'll be stronger because of it. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't have that strength, someone here that doesn't know that when they die, they're going to heaven, they don't know that you're living inside of them, give them faith they can't refute right now. Give them a faith they can't refuse right now. 
Put it in their heart, Father, to surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. Father, if they're thinking, man, I don't know what this is going to be like. I don't know what's next. Encourage them to let them know that we don't either. But we know who's in charge. We know who's running it. And we can trust you because you're a mighty, awesome God. But Father, if there's someone who needs to plant that seed of faith in their life today and just surrender themselves to you, Father, just put it in their heart to do it. Get everything out of the way and let them plant it. And then you take over, God, because that's what you promised to do. So, Father, use this way in any way that you can in our lives. And I'm grateful that you will because your word doesn't return void. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.